1: You're listening right. to the Thompson Show on WNHHLP 103.5 FM, your home up,
2: for community radio. Man, get up, get up, Good morning, everyone. Good morning, and it's Monday, September 11th, 2023. And that 9/11 kind of those words with the hyphen in between nine, those letters rather numbers, um, unfortunately do have a, do resonate with folks since uh, 2001. Uh, uh, but we're not going to go there too much in terms of just, but I guess I wanted to lift, lift up for regards what we're talking about today. The uh, just remembering what happened on 9-11 uh, down in New York and also in D.C. People forget about D.C. as well as in Pennsylvania. So let's kind of uh, understand that America has a mission and that we're part of that mission and the world has a mission and we're part of the world mission. Today, we're going to talk about the world mission about health and we're not going to be totally global, but we're going to focus in on sickle cell uh, sickle cell disease. This is a uh, sickle cell disease awareness month. And we're really privileged again, honored, I might say to have, uh, mm-hmm. Dr. Cece Calhoun with us. And she's been with us before assistant professor of medicine, and hematology, and the medical director of the sickle cell program at, um, at Yale university and, you know, medical school. We're, we're, we're joined by Reverend Dr. Leroy O. Perry, pastor of St. Stephen's AME Zion church and cultural ambassador, to the Yale Clinical Research Program and Reverend Alvin Clayton, Pastor Walters Memorial and Museum Church and Cultural Ambassador to the Yale Clinical Research Program. Uh, Some of you may or may not know that, but Dr. Uh, Calhoun assumed the role as Medical Director of the Sickle Cell Program at Yale relatively recently. And she has really, since she's been on board here with us, uh I could say used all of our tools, but really max maximize her experience, maximize her expertise, maximize her passion uh to work towards reducing the, the burden, and it truly is a burden, psychological and medically, carried by individuals with sickle cell. And more importantly, as a researcher, she's been using something called we're gonna talk about this more during the show, implementation science, implementation science. To improve outcomes for patients with sickle cell disease across their lifespan. During the month of September, as i mentioned, uh, which has been designated as National Sickle Cell Awareness Month, we're going to take time during these next 50 minutes to educate ourselves again and to remind ourselves, and also to be proactive in our actions about uh, the this 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 I won't say oppression, but this uh, situation, this circumstance, this 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 ease this this ease and how people need to be how we can make people easier and, and more life's lifespan focused and more and just to enjoy life liberty and happiness and we're going to discuss what we can do to help advance developments across this uh this burden that affects us, so many people and particularly people with brown and blacks black skin dr Cal- dr calhoun good morning
3: Good morning. Thank you so much for welcoming me again and that generous introduction. I really appreciate it.
2: Well, you, I was paid well to say it and, uh, you know, <laughs> and, and I kind of, I kind of rehearsed it, but no, I do. It's, it's truly, uh, truly spoken from the heart because you're here to really with your passion and your purpose. And, and I would say your, when I say your product, your, 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 your mission delivery, yeah. uh, let's, let, let, let's, let's, let's start off about uh. Uh, what what is, what it is, what sickle cell is and uh, you know, we, we've talked about it before, but I think people need to be re- reminded,
3: Uh, absolutely yeah absolutely so first I want to say I'm just here as a representative all the work that I do is in teams and some of the members of the team are here with me today um but you know the people doing the most work are the people that I serve and those are sickle cells so just a representative trying to do my best we all do it together right so go further together right so Mm -hmm. um Sickle cell disease is an inherited disorder of the red blood cell. So it's something that people are born with, okay? You can't just catch it from someone and it affects our red blood cell, which is the cell in our blood that transports oxygen through our body, um, keeps us healthy, keeps all of our tissues, our organs thriving and functioning, our red blood cell does. I always explain to my patients, you know, we have three kinds of cells in our blood. Our white blood cells, those help us fight infection. Our red blood cells, like we that transport oxygen, then the most, I think one of the most underrated cells in the blood, the platelets, nobody ever talks about, but those are the ones like if you get a cut or, or something like that, they make sure that your, your blood, you're not bleeding out until your body can make a more permanent clot. But sickle cell affects the red blood cells, so specifically how it affects it is this one tiny, tiny genetic mutation, which maybe we'll get into why this is important later, um, results instead of a normal red blood cell, which I describe as a jelly donut, uh, kind of a biconcave disc, flat, kind of squishy turns into a cell that is shaped like a sickle, which is why it's called sickle cell, but we're not farmers anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. so you could say a crescent moon or a banana, a similar shape. Um, But in addition to being shaped differently, it's also very brittle um, and it's also very sticky. And so when you think about your blood vessels as pipes, got those normal red blood cells kind of bouncing off the sides of the wall, taking oxygen to where it needs to go, But if you replace those cells, and in patients who have hemoglobin SS disease, it can be 90 plus percent of their red blood cells replaced Mm -hmm. with cells that look like crescent moons or bananas, you can imagine maybe those cells are scratching up the sides of the walls of the blood vessel, sticking to the sides of the walls of the blood vessel, sticking to one another, so that blood can't get through. And so they also break down faster. So when we think about how sickle cells up, shows up in clinic and in the lives of people that we care for or that we love, that's kind of the physiology behind mm-hmm. it, you know, mm-hmm. because most people think sickle cell and they think pain, mm-hmm. you know, because that's the mm-hmm. most common presenting symptom. But any place in our body where there's tiny blood vessels, sickle cells can affect. So our eyes, our brain, our lungs, it really affects our entire body.
2: Too much. Uh, there's so much we want to get into. Just just before we take the deep, take the deep dive, Dr. Calhoun, uh, folks might have heard that African Americans are more prone to carrying this gene. Uh, can you tell us a little, yeah. little bit about that?
3: Yeah, so sickle cell disease and this misshapen or funny shaped red blood cell is actually protective against malaria. So, malaria is intracellular parasite. You get bitten by a mosquito, it snuggles up inside your red blood cell and it proliferates and lives. But if your red blood cell is shaped differently, then malaria has a harder time thriving. So our bodies develop this as an evolutionary trait. And you know, you might be saying to yourself, "Well, you know, Dr. Calhoun, we don't have malaria in Connecticut." You know, Mm -hmm. how did this happen? Well, Mm. any place where malaria is endemic, sickle cell is prevalent, like West Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, some places in India. And we know because of the transatlantic slave trade that there are Africans all across the diaspora, Mm. not Mm. just in the US, but in the islands, and in other countries, you know, so this trait continued and persisted through that. Yep, so that's how we got sickle cell in the US, slavery. Mm. Yes.
2: And we're gonna d- delineate the, the difference between the trait and the disease in just in a yes. few seconds. But but I've just wondered, uh folks have also there's some lack of understanding about how early uh one can be exposed to the disease or be subject to the disease. Is it yeah is, it, is it an adolescent thing or
3: a baby? Yeah, thing so or? you know, sickle cell is something that you're born with. Um mm. and so even as um, a baby this is a, this is a condition that you have um, and it really doesn't go away um, and unless there are some special scenarios which we may be able to get to as kind of new things are emerging but it's something that you're born with and so when we're when uh, we are younger when we're babies we make a different type of heatle o- hemoglobin called fetal hemoglobin. And that helps protect against some of the deleterious consequences of sickle cells. But even babies have swelling of the hands and feet, which is something called dactylitis, mm-hmm. or can even experience pain and some severe types, even as a baby. So it's something that people with sickle cell are born with, they carry their entire lives. Um, yeah.
2: mm-hmm. Reverend Perrin, and Reverend Clayton, just before I come to you, I wanted to ask uh, Dr. Calhoun also about the, because we've mentioned traits and and uh, the difference between someone having the trait, whether that's a, a, a not not a death sentence, but a but a pain sentence, uh, but the difference between carrying the trait and actually harboring their body harboring the disease. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. So in order to have sickle cell disease, you have to kind of have two copies of that gene that has that mutation. We get one from our mom, one from our dad. When I'm in clinic and I love being in person because I like to draw pictures. So I draw one of those like sixth grade biology. Remember those Punnett squares where you say you have a little A and a big A and then it's autosomal recessive or dominant. So you need two genes, um, one from mom, one from dad to have sickle cell disease. But there are many people who have just one One sickle cell, one normal, and that's called sickle cell trait. And so can you look at somebody and see if they have sickle cell or sickle cell trait? No. Can you tell, by the way they present, whether they have sickle cell disease? Yes. Could you tell throughout their life if they had trait? Maybe not. So usually people with trait, unless they are in high altitudes, play like uh, professional level sports, rarely experience any complications related to sickle cell disease. However, we are learning more about risk factors that trait may predispose one to, um, like certain types of malignancy in the kidney, which is very, very rare. Um, but usually people with trait live a normal, healthy life. It becomes most important when you meet that person you love and you guys just have to go have on a baby. So just understanding your risk of, of having a child who has sickle cell, I think it's always important to be informed.
2: So are, are you saying then, Dr. Calhoun, that a person should be, or can a person be, or should they even consider getting getting tested to see if they harbor the trait?
3: Yeah. So, you know, in the United States, all of our states now have newborn screen. So okay. if okay. you were born within the past few decades, which is, you know, not everybody, uh, you know, you may have known, uh, you're, you, you should be able to know whether or not you carry trait. However, you know. If I'm a baby and somebody tells my mom that I have sickle cell trait, um, you know, she may tell me, but she may forget. I mean, a lot of time Mm. goes by. Mm -hmm. So people may not be aware of their trait status. You know, I think knowledge is power, right? Mm -hmm. And so always knowing kind of your body and yourself um, and your trait status will help you make conscious decisions, intentional decisions, and just, you know, set yourself up for success. So I would say it's important for sure.
2: So when Reverend Perry and Reverend Clayton and I get born again, we should be tested for the trait.
3: <laughs> I mean, you know, whatever, wherever the wherever the spirit leads you. Okay, that's right, my right, life. Right.
2: Let them guide okay. you. Okay, good. Reverend Perry, Reverend Clayton, kind of jump in and share with us, uh, because you guys have been on the battlefield, and uh, I, I'm I'm going to say I'm going to delete that term and say the love field, the love, the love field, uh, for for for, for decades, and uh and, and advocates, orators. Uh, marketers, uh, salespeople, uh, p- disciples even uh, for, for marginalized communities. And what do you think are some of the, if, if there are still any uh, any misconceptions associated with, with sickle cell disease that we need to kind of refute or d- dispel in people's uh, perception? Reverend Perry, Reverend Clayton? Uh,
0: thank you, Tom. One of the misconceptions I would think is because the, the sickle cell or patient live a relatively normal life. Um, they work, they play, they uh, uh, they get married. <laughs> we just mm-hmm. talked about moments ago. Mm-hmm. And everything for the most part is normal until they go through this period of time when they have these issues. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what happens, um, they look normal they act normal, but when, but I don't know what, t- Cece, you can help me with the term that you want to use when, when they have a, a, a bowel. Basal,
3: yeah. Vaso-occlusive episode, a pain episode.
0: Okay. Yeah. And, and, and they get tired. And so sometimes they think that uh, they're, they're lazy or, or they're not being honest about the pain, but we want to make sure that people understand that if a person has sickle cell, um, and this is very real, mm. and that mm. we and and you know make people aware that uh th- this is this is a this can be painful. This this can wear you out. You're tired, and we just want people to know yes. that they're not faking. Mm. And when you CC was talking about uh, how how the the banana-shaped uh, sickle cells goes through the through <laughs> the arteries. You, you know, you, you got blood everywhere in your body. Mm-hmm. So, so if you're going through that, every part of your body uh, can be in pain. Like somebody tripped me the other week and I had a pain in my elbow. But that's only one spot. <laughs> <laughs> but if you got sickle cell, Yeah, that's pain everywhere. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people may not take that to be true. Yes, excellent.
1: Reverend Clayton, we're not talking about self-inflicted injuries. <laughs> 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 and, and and let me say, Cece, I mean, the background, your Afro-American history background is so, so relevant and on point here because mm. many people think having a disease or a sickness is a curse from God. I mean, I think you really cleared that up for us. But really, though the sickle cell was a blessing for those who had to deal in areas sub-Saharan Africa and other places where malaria was prevalent, it was a form of protection. So, you know, it's a blessing and a curse, but you have to have the historical understanding to see where it is. You're not cursed because you have it. God didn't point you out because you have it. He was really trying to bless you. And if they had left the boats over in Africa, we'd be okay. <laughs> I'm just saying. Right. No. Yeah. The, second, the second thing that i wanted to allude to was the fact that um you know we were we we attended an irb uh, meeting and madeline presented on sickle cell just this weekend and one of the things that became so obvious and relevant was the fact that you know there's a cure there, there's a possible cure now uh but it's the, the regulations and the stipulations. I mean, you, it's, it's just, it's, it's difficult. Mm-hmm. And they, they were saying that the earlier you do the, um, the, the cell transplant or the, mm-hmm. uh, what do you call it?
3: Marrow um, transplant or oh, gene therapy.
1: Yeah. The earlier you do it, the less chance you have of host versus gratis in the young people. But then you know, you got to deal with the young person. You gotta deal with the family members. And there were all these IRB regulations that were that were around us that you wonder if anybody is eligible for this, number one. And two, what are the financial uh possibilities mm-hmm. for poor black people being given this opportunity? Yeah. Yeah. So if you could just talk to us about yeah. that, because, you know, if so, I was a parent, I'd be looking for some hope. I'd be looking so to you, ask you you Yeah. To so this. you, uh,
3: so you um, put a little spoiler, you know, Reverend Perry, not everybody knows I majored in African American <laughs> studies in undergrad. You know that because you know me. So, uh, you know, um, you know, I think that's a little bit unexpected, but I will say one thing that we haven't yet talked about is how being Black in America affects people who have sickle cell. And I think that's what you really alluded to there. It's not just that you have a disease that affects your red blood cells and that can affect all of your organs, is that that pathologic process is layered on top of being Black in America and then having to be a Black person in America in the healthcare system, right? Which I, even myself as a physician, have had very untoward experiences, believe it or not, you know, I don't always lead. Oh, I'm Dr. Calhoun. You know, I have a regular conversation and because it shouldn't matter. Right. But we all know that it does. And sometimes it doesn't even matter enough. And so just like Reverend Clayton was saying, when it comes to being heard and sickle cell, it's not like something you can see. You know, you can't see somebody's necessarily see, oh, this is their level of pain. And that makes it really challenging, not just when you're trying to advocate for yourself, but when you're trying to get the best treatment. Um, and so when we think about sickle cell disease and, and it being inherited and being born with it, you know, really right now, um, for the longest time, there was only one, one cure mm. and, um, you know, and, and this is something that, um, I think is, is a reflection of scientific priorities, right. For black people, because we've known about, uh, the genetic mutation in sickle cell disease for over 100 years. Um, And so just for us, just to kind of have only a handful of options to even offer our patients is really frustrating to the physician sciences part of me, but it makes me angry as a Black person. Okay, I'm going to just be honest. So regarding a cure for sickle cell, for the longest time, the only um, curative option was bone marrow transplant. All the cells in our blood, all of those three main times we talked about the parent cells for those cells are in our bone marrow which you know seems kind of counterintuitive you're like your bone is hard but on the inside it spongy and all of the precursors all of the parent cells of those three cells are are in our bone marrow and so if you can replace someone else's parent uh, stem cells or red parent the red blood cell parent. Uh, with someone who doesn't have sickle cell and get those to replicate, then you offer the chance of curing their sickle cell. But like you alluded to, it's a complicated process. It's not like you just come, get an effusion, go home, you're all good. You have to have, number one, the right donor, which is a challenge of people of African descent, because as we kind of got spread across the world, we really began to connect. There's as, as much variation or more variation in our genetics as there is in our skew of skin. OK. And so you got to find someone that's a good match. That's absolutely critical for the process to go well, which has been a barrier, significant barrier. Then. You know, it's not just about putting those cells in. You got to make room for those cells. And so how we do that is a little bit of chemo. So then you get the cells. And if you get in a little chemo, your immune system's down. And until those cells start to replicate, you know, um, we have to be our immune system. So you have to stay in the hospital with us. And there's no guarantee that they will replicate or that when they do, that you said graft-versus-host disease that, that those new cells won't say, hey, hold up, and attack the the donors, the donor in their tissues. And so really navigating this challenging process to a successful cure. And we have had patients who have done it, okay? Younger patients who have done well. And when it goes well, it's fantastic. But it is high risk. And like you said, it's not just that individual that's going through that process. It is their families. It's there physicians walking with them? You know, it is, you know, if you are older and you're trying to have a job, you know, taking months and months off for transplant can be a big deal. And then there's the huge financial implications of this. Um, and this challenge of not having the right donor has been a little bit mitigated by something new, gene therapy, everybody's heard about. So I don't want to steal the thunder <laughs> you know, we're gonna talk about this later. No, please go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, what it allows us to do is say, hey, instead of needing cells from someone else, can I use my own cells? You know, can I get the some the parent cells from somebody who has sickle cell and take them outside of their body to a lab and use scientific technologies? There's different kinds. You can use a virus, like um, all right. Rock with me for a minute. Okay. I know I'm getting really scientific. Let's go back to sixth grade bio. Okay. Remember how like you learn how like bacteria, you know, they can reproduce, but viruses, they got to use your own uh, replication mechanisms to keep going. So scientists were like, huh, maybe this is the way for us to enter the cell and switch it up a little bit. And so sometimes you can use a what's called a viral vector to alter and fix that one mutation in sickle cell or CRISPR technologies and fix that one mutation give it back to the person and then, you know, offer a potential cure. Um, new, inexpensive. Okay. It's like a new car, right? So now we're trying to figure out as we've gone through clinical trials, which, you know, we're moving forward towards this becoming something that is FDA approved. Our insurers going to pay for this, you know, majority of persons with sickle cell rely on government insurance and do um, payers this valuable, this cure for somebody's life, which is a very, um, I'm looking for the right word. It fails me. A challenging and interesting and kind of conversation to have, right. To say, what is the value of a cure? Um, and so, you know, I'm so excited about where science is and I'm very interested in how, uh, The financial implications will result in actual access. You know, we don't want to perpetuate any disparity. So, um, that was a long answer (laughs) to (laughs) your question.
2: That that Um, was that was perfect, Dr. Cahun. And just kind of unpack, because I think from the nuance standpoint, you were talking about implementation science. I mean, a little
3: bit. Yes. You know, so so elaborate
2: a little bit on that.
3: Yeah, so, you know, I I might pivot us again. So implementation science is all about the study of the, the, the methods, procedures, frameworks, processes that we use to take these evidence based practices and get them actually functioning in the real world. And, you know, so we have a name for the field now, but I would offer many people on on this call and many people that are listening to the show have been doing implementation science. They've Mm -hmm. been figuring out how to get things to work for their setting. And so what implementation science does is allow us to look at it in a reproducible, measurable way, putting, you know, frameworks around it that'll help us translate to different environments. And so when we think about any kind of intervention or evidence-based practice, we call it the thing, right? When we think about the thing, we want to understand, you know, what is the context with which we're trying to implement this? Who are the key stakeholders? What are the key things we have to have in place? How do we partner with everybody to do it well? And then how do we ensure sustainability? And so, you know, you can put cool frameworks around it. Uh, the consolidated framework for implementation research or, you know, the EPIS framework or REAM. But, you know, a lot of this is things that we actually have already already been doing, questions we've been asking, but it's like, how do we do it in a more formal way? And with, when we think about gene therapy, we're like, we have this thing, right? That is gonna be an amazing mm-hmm. cure that we know mm-hmm. that it can work. What's the context? What's the payer, the facilities, and institution? Who are the stakeholders? Our patients, number one, right? Um, the administrators in the hospital, physicians delivering the therapy, our community members who are gonna be supporting patients through this entire process. How do we partner with them? And I think we're still asking these kind of questions and how do we ensure sustainability? And so these are just wonderful, mm-hmm. important, challenging mm-hmm. questions mm-hmm. that we really have to answer. I'm just thankful we don't have to do it by ourselves. It's again, a team effort y'all, okay?
2: And be that's perfect. And and connect for me, uh, Dr. Calhoun and Reverend Clayton, because Reverend Clayton, I believe you have an, an upcoming event, a blood blood donation okay. drive. And what's the connection there in terms of what we've been discussing already? Because uh, I want people to see how we, as uh, Dr. Calhoun mentioned, it's a team effort on everyone's part. But what's the connection with the importance of the, your upcoming blood drive to this discussion?
0: There the is a blood drive, a uh, health fair at the arena in brisport uh, teamed up with the red cross and many other organizations to number one make people aware and then help people to take a chart of their own health and also at the same time share with other people so as you can see the the flyer there and uh, hit that qr code you get all the information that you need it's from eight thirty. Uh, Wednesday morning, the 13th, and it will end at 6 p.m.
3: Yeah, I think um you and I are going to say some opening things at the beginning, Reverend Clayton.
1: Okay.
2: Dr. Calhoun, tease us a little bit, and it can make the connection between, you know, blood and sickle cell yeah. talking, but just, sure, yeah. sure, I think people need to see that we all can play a part in this.
3: Yeah, so I think this is an awesome, awesome, awesome event, one of many going on for Sickle Cell Disease Awareness Month, because one of the things my patients always tell me is nobody knows about sickle cell, nobody knows what it is, it's a silent disease, like Reverend Clayton said, so to have your community come out and support for the most critical component, remember, we said, hey, sickle cell affects the red blood cell, this is a blood drive, okay, blood is our ace in the hole, okay, so whenever we have really severe complications with sickle cell disease, you know, when it's something that we don't have a medication for, or we or we haven't gotten that person a curative therapy, or we're unsure, or our patient's in a tenuous and are in a tenuous position, if we can, what we do is give them blood. Okay. So the more, so this is literally the community pouring mm-hmm. in to the one of the. The most critical resources for persons who have sickle cell disease, Mm -hmm. um, which is blood. And I think, uh, you know, like I talked about the variety in our skin color and our genetics. You know, there's certain antigens and comp- that minor antigens in our blood that people of color have, but maybe people of color don't. I mean, we encourage everybody to donate. We match and extended typing, but it's particularly important for people of color to come out and to give blood. And so, like, it is a visual representation of the community supporting People with sickle cell disease, and really, you know, selfishly supporting me to do my job, right? Because this is <laughs> your blood—the blood you donate will be the thing that helps me help somebody else. So I'm I'm thrilled. I'm really excited, and, and, and I get uh, to see Reverend Clayton in person. So I get to. And,
2: see and Dr. Cohen, we're going to talk shortly about the uh, your inpatient sickle cell disease clinic and the oh, recent yeah. opening. But Reverend Reverend uh, uh, Perry, I wanted to put you a little bit on the spot because you. You preached a few, about a month or six weeks ago about the blood. I'm sure you preached about blood before, but I just wondered if you wanted, wanted to comment because it seems to me, just as Dr. Calhoun was speaking and Reverend Clayton, your sermon just, it resonated with me. Not that I remember everything that you say during all your sermons, but but your one on, on, on the on the blood uh, uh, disconnects. So I just wonder whether you had any thoughts uh, about what Reverend Clayton and Dr. Calhoun had just mentioned in terms of the importance of this upcoming event.
1: And theologically, the blood is essential. <laughs> it, is, okay. it is the life flow fluid within us. And so we trace it all the way back historically and symbolically to the to the cross of Christ. And and, 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 the, and the blood is important. And the fact that we can share this, as, as Cece and, and Clayton were saying, the fact that we can share this. With those who who can use it can need it, it's, it's just awesome. I also would like to lift up the fact that there is a, a walkathon and there's a jazz thing, and I'm gonna. I hope to see you at the jazz uh, fest. Uh, <laughs> uh, Mr. Rollins is putting on or is helping mm-hmm. the sponsor. But mm-hmm. yeah, so this is a great month for us that that all of us can can contribute in one way or another to the success. Of this science
2: and this research, and it's, and we're just not talking out of our both sides of our mouth, but there is a both sides of our mouth, but there is an infrastructure uh, initiative movement underway, Dr. Calhoun, in terms of your your uh, the Smilo cancer hospital, you celebrated your inpatient oh. sickle cell disease clinic. talk, talk well. to us about that.
3: Yeah. So, you know, one of the great opportunities that I have had to do is, you know, assume leadership of our program at Snyder Cancer Hospital. And one of the reasons that's been really great uh, and and fulfilling is because we have really engaged leadership who wants to do the best that they can for persons who have sickle cell. And that's, just priceless and, and when it comes to healthcare. And so we're able to ask and then also answer, right? Mm-hmm. Which is important, right? We can ask a lot of questions, but what, how are we gonna find solutions and implement solutions, right? Back to implementation science. How can we improve our inpatient care? for persons with sickle cell, and so that was a question we asked, and so when we thought about solutions, we said, hey, we need to expand our workforce, and Smilo has this incredible group of hospitalists, which are physicians who practice hospital medicine. When you get admitted, they're the crew that takes care of you pretty broadly, but Smilo specifically has a smaller, uh, well-trained group that with developing expertise in oncology, And so as we our program started to really be um, connected with SMILO and and plugged into SMILO, we said, hey, why don't we help them develop their expertise in sickle cell disease so that patients Mm -hmm. with sickle cell disease can also have access to the resources in this state-of-the-art cancer hospital, right? Mm -hmm. How do we improve that access? And so that was the new opening of SMILO East, um, which is on EP47. So it is a unit for both Smilo patients, but also sickle persons who have sickle cell um, who will be cared for by Smilo hospitals with developing expertise, but also those hospitals maintain an intimate connection with our, our whole sickle cell team, right? So it's allowing us to provide some continuity between that outpatient and inpatient between the sickle cell specialists to be regularly involved in their care, for there to be a consistent group of people that our patients can get to know. Because oftentimes our patients who are coming inpatient usually have greater needs. You know, we don't know, there's no way to predict. And honestly, I really wish there was at birth, who's gonna have a bad disease course, have a lot of pain, have a lot of complications and who's gonna do okay. That's one thing scientifically we really struggle with because it will help us figure out like who do we need to transplant right away? You know, who's worth the risk, but we don't know. Um, oftentimes we have to just let those things play out. And and what we wanna do is no matter what, whether you have a disease that's mild or whether you have a disease that's that's severe, give you the best care that we can. And so this is saying, let it not just be based on one individual provider, but let's put a system in place that can make sure anybody who comes through is able to get great care. And it's just been incredible working with the Smilo Hospitalist team, um, I, I am just so thankful to our leadership who has really shown an interest and made an investment in equity for mm-hmm. our patients. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've already seen that we're able to, you know, um, provide better care for our patients and patients. So it's been And great.
2: Reverend Perry, you were at the, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were at the ribbon cutting along with some, a few other cultural ambassadors.
1: Yes, I was representing, uh, <laughs> I was rep- helping to represent the YCCI cultural ambassadors if we hadn't been there there may not have been anybody of color there okay i'm just <laughs> <it> like this <laughs> and so since it affects us we wanted to be there to mm-hmm. show that you know we the community has to have some kind of um, parlance rel- relevance commitment to what we're doing mm-hmm. otherwise it'll be in a in a silo that nobody knows what's going on so that's why this show is so important. And it's so important that the cultural ambassadors promote this and get this information out to people. I I, I enjoy being there. And um, I think it's just going to be phenomenal. I, I, it really is um, for all of us and particularly for inpatient. Yeah. You know, one of the problems is access. Mm-hmm. The other problem is, you know, implied bias. You go to some doctors and they just don't really see your situation they think you're going there because you're in pain but really they in their mind they believe that you're going there because you're hooked on drugs and you're you're looking for a quick fix Mm
2: -hmm.
1: we've got to change that uh, that perception and I think you know what this center is going to do is help to do that in major ways
3: I sure hope so. Okay. Cause <laughs> we know our we know our young people with sickle cell all oh, they experience greater health care related discrimination and stigma. And what I found um, from my colleagues, to be honest with you, you know, these individuals wanna do a good job. Mm. And so get, having the space to do educate them has been wonderful and see them rise and respond um, because it's a myth. It's a myth that sickle cell, uh, people with sickle cell are the ones who are drug seekers or, you know, contributing to the opioid crisis. Our data shows us otherwise, you know, patients are taking for the most overwhelming, most part taking the medications as we prescribe them. <laughs> OK. Mm-hmm. And so we have to to really you know we're humans right so nobody's gonna be perfect okay but it can't be that the one person who feel you know goes into your stigma is the one person you think represents the hundreds of other people that you treat you know what I'm saying so we're working on it
1: for sure and and one other thing Cece you had once talked about how young people had to transition as they got older how mm-hmm. that transition period was somewhat yeah. sometimes had some cracks in it and you were trying to work them out.
3: Yeah, that's you know, my favorite, like uh, you know, amongst all of sickle cell, if I if you're like, what do you like the most in terms of my research or just clinical interest, is working with young people. Um, part of that is because, and I, you know, I'm not too, I'm I'm still young, so I'm not too (laughs) far off, but you know, I just remember that time in my life. And even now still just that when, when you have someone who believes in you, who sees the best for you, you rise to the occasion. I find oftentimes with our young people, they do it and sickle cell disease that adolescent and young adult period is. When the disease kind of starts to get rough, some of the complications start manifesting, maybe the pain gets worse, or we see some changes in the kidney, or maybe even sometimes some eye changes that really start to come about. But again, that's layered on top of trying to be a young person, right? You're trying to figure out what I want to do when I grow up. Uh, how Am I going to get a job? If I have pain every single month, and like Reverend Clayton was saying earlier, nobody can see it. They think I'm just faking, like, you know, How am I going to live? Or I want to be like my peers. I don't Mm want to be different, but I have this sickle cell. Or, you know, as I get older, I'm used to uh, this pediatric environment where everybody treats me like I'm super young and you want me to be an adult? It's a big jump. I don't know what to do. Like, how do I do that? These hospitals look totally different. Um, Or is there going to be a sickle cell specialist like the one I've known my whole life? And so, you know, my career questions are like, how do we smooth that? And we have a precedent, you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics tells us, hey, here are the main elements of how you should support patients as they transition. Um, But, you know, a lot of times in sickle cell centers, we don't have the infrastructure in place. And so we say we got the thing we can say with implementation science, how do we get it into where it needs to go and get it to the people who need it? And then I think the next step after that is like, how do we make it better? You know, Mm -hmm. and. You know, I think that's the incredible precedent that an an example that our cultural ambassadors set and saying, like, hey, we live here. We're from here. Let me I know you got your uh, research ideas and what you have shown works in this setting. But let me show you how it's going to work here in our community that we know. Um, And it's about putting all those pieces together so that our young people can live. You know, mortality starts to rise around 18." Mm-hmm. and so the question is for us to go to patients so the question is how do we make that rise less steep how do we help them have the quality of life they deserve so that's what i try to do in my research and in clinic i so i see patients from 15 onwards so i follow them through the transition so they can see me on the peat side and they come over to the adult side and it's the same face i'm like
2: <laughs> <I got> it.
3: <laughs> so, yeah it helps to- a little yeah. bit but
2: we have about 15 minutes, so as, as things kind of come across our mind and as we kind of con- conclude, I mentioned, I thought maybe Reverend uh, uh, Clayton just share again, again about your important event that's upcoming.
0: Again, the the event is at the uh, M and T Arena uh, on Broad Street, in Bristport This Wednesday, the 13th. Um, 8 30 in the morning until 6 p.m and we just want to make uh this a disease and others uh, make awareness of it and, and here's the problem there are the phrase that we used to use the squeaky wheel gets the oil mm-hmm. uh we have to sound the trumpet mm-hmm. about the need of giving blood about the sickle cell patients that, that seem to go unnoticed. Mm-hmm. That, uh, just, just a week or so ago, the president um, passed a bill or presented a bill, I believe it was passed to lower uh, some medication, the cost of medications. We need to really sound the trumpet for sickle cell patients that they can get into this benefit because um, the medicines are very expensive. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times um, they're suffering because they can't afford or, or they, they don't have insurance because they can't get insurance. So, so this we just gotta keep uh, shows like this. We have to make sure that we have a program like we're gonna have on Wednesday. And keep talking and talking and preaching and teaching, and and listen to expert like Doctor Calhoun to, to help us get this this very important word to our community. And one other myth that 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 people may to understand is not only blacks that can get sickle cell;
1: mm-hmm. others
0: mm-hmm. can get it as well.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
2: Excellent. Dr. Calhoun. just, I'm curious, this might be, uh, a, not a, a correct question, but it occurs to me, is there a connection between mental health? I mean, when you mentioned the struggles of adolescence development, just in general for a healthy adolescent, but it just yeah. dawned on me that there might be some mental health or just yeah. psychic or just emotional struggles going on that we've termed mental health. I just wondered if you had any thoughts about that.
3: Yeah. So, you know, um, Certainly, as our and our young adults, but globally speaking, and people who have sickle cell disease, especially those who like suffer from chronic pain, you know, if you can imagine, kind of the the weight that that carries. And so, we're actually trying to explore. We know that there's a connection between like um, like depression and pain and worse pain and how mm. people experience pain. And we're trying to understand what that looks like in amongst people who have sickle cell disease. And if we're able to successfully you know, provide treatment or, and support for those, how that'll affect pain. Certainly, absolutely. There's no question um, that there's a connection between mental health and and, and wellness, right? Yeah. And like how, you know, uh, people experience their disease. And I was just thinking when Reverend Clayton was talking about, you know, people might label me an expert because I'm a doctor, Right. And because I went to school for a million years and I can explain the pathophysiology of sickle cell, but it's not lost on me or any of the colleagues that I work with that we need everybody. Because Mm -hmm. when I think about the walk coming up later this month from the SCDAA, or when I think about how Reverend uh, Clayton and Perry show up and people who have sickle cell disease, y'all, you guys are going to reach a point and heal a place that I might not be able to reach as a physician mm-hmm. just because of the title. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I think about mental health, you know, I, we have a great a psychiatrist that works with our team or we have psychologists that work with our mm-hmm. pediatric team. But sometimes you need your your, your pastor. Mm -hmm. You know, that's going to be the person that helps you understand and heal. Or sometimes there may be a point where, hey, you and your physician, y'all don't agree, right? And you need to have somebody in your life, whether it's that auntie, it's that friend, it's that cousin that helps you think about it from a different perspective, that helps you understand and communicate and advocate for yourself. And so, you know, I think when we think about how we support, People who have sickle cell disease, are, you know, their skills I bring, mm-hmm. sure, right, and my training um, and me as a human, right? <laughs> but, I, but I also think that, you know, all of us, you know, I'm looking out, particularly at this call, bring a skill set that can provide healing to, to our patients. And mm-hmm. um, I think that's most salient when we think about like mood disorders and like um, yeah. depression and anxiety, which many people face and, mm-hmm. you know, just really mm-hmm. supporting people who have sickle cell.
2: Yeah. Reverend Perry, haven't heard from you in a while. Talk to me.
1: Oh no, I was just thinking uh, in terms of treatment, you know, like if you're a young person, you may start off with one dose or one treatment or one drug, but then as you get older and as the pain or as the situation may change with you, there are other mm-hmm. doses or drugs that you use. i just like to know how does that work? And our, our mm-hmm. Is it costly? So in the, in the lifespan of a child from 1 to 25, or 1 to 50, or 1 to 40, yeah. is that is that an insurmountable cost for them? Or is it covered through, you know, Medicaid or government monies or, you know, yeah. is it the work and pay for this too?
3: And- yeah, so, you know, listen, our healthcare system is a work in progress, okay? <laughs> okay, <laughs> so... So you know, um, I think that when it comes to cost and, and cost-effective delivery of care, we always have a lot of work to do with sickle cell disease. All right. So my general approach is always to treat the disease first, right? Um, how do we prevent sickling or address, you know, those misshapen cells? And really, uh, up until about five or six years ago, we only had one main option, which was hydroxyurea. Um, which helps make fetal hemoglobin like that hemoglobin you make when you're a baby that's protective. It tells the bone marrow to make more of that. Um, Thankfully, science got a clue and was like, huh, maybe we should figure out huh, we already know how this works. How can we develop drugs around it? So we've gotten a couple of new options to treat sickle cell disease. And so that's one, how things change over time in one way, right? Because science, we're always learning and growing. So the treatments that are available, if, think, if we're doing things right, the treatments that are available uh, 30 years ago, we should have way more, You know, even three years ago, I hope that we continually have that's why we have clinical trials, right? Because we need more treatments. Right. And so the treatment landscape and how you treat sickle cell disease is always going to be moving forward. That's what I hope. That's what I pray. And then we also think about how we treat the complications of sickle cell disease. Like we talked about pain. Right. And so. You know, I think we are learning more about best ways to treat pain as well. And so you might have started off with this one medication, but then we found out, hey, maybe it's safer for us to use this other medication because we know you're going to live for a long. We hope you live for a long time. And so we want to try this other thing or, hey, you know, we only have opioids, but now we have these other things. Can we try those Um, even now? something that's cool that I'm excited about is in medicine, we're even incorporating like Eastern traditions, like acupuncture. Um, Yeah. Like learning more about these things. Um, I recently went to the NIH uh, sickle cell disease meetings um, in Bethesda. And when somebody was giving a talk about acupuncture and different compounds like turmeric uh, Mm -hmm. for healing and, you know, this is just, you know, Uh, bench level research but I was like this is so exciting um and so as you know people age and get older the treatment landscape changes you know new things are generally more expensive so you know that that's gonna (laughs) have some financial implications but also with our young adults you know they they sometimes lose their insurance coverage Mm -hmm. um, and they don't know how to get it back Mm -hmm. and so they have to make a decision they have to say I know this treats my sickle cell but I got pain right now so hot. So if I got to pick one medication, I'm, I might pick my pain meds. But the long game is right. If you don't treat your sickle cell, you're going to keep having pain. It's yeah. not going to you know. And so they get put in positions that are very challenging um, just in general or even not just our young people. You know, if you are a single parent and your kid has sickle cell and every t- if every time they have to have a fever, if you, every time they have a fever, they have to come in and get antibiotics because to be protected. And you don't have no more who you have maybe other kids who's going to wash them or you may not be able to afford that day off of work. You might need that money, you know, to take care of other kids. Mm -hmm. And so these are ways in which kind of our societal inequities really kind of lay over top of managing a disease. So I always say. When it comes to people who have sickle cell disease and the solutions we find, improving access, the strides we make, we're going to be able to apply to so many populations because they mm. highlight mm. all of the issues we have in our healthcare system. And so hopefully when we find the solutions, we can just scale in and apply it to many people.
2: We have about four more minutes, everyone. And I want to give Dr. Calhoun the chance for the last words, but I just wondered, Reverend Perry and Reverend Clayton, any Kind of closing thoughts before I. I,
1: I, I have one thought. She didn't invite us to go with her to the NIH. <laughs> well, oh,
3: she's,
2: she's
1: you saving,
3: come anytime. She's, she's, <laughs> saving, she's
2: saving up the global the global health conference in in, in Puerto Rico for you, <laughs> for you to, to attend.
3: Internet, London. We gotta go to that. London. London, ah,
2: yeah, oh, uh, yeah. See, I told you she's waiting. Yeah. Up. But but Re- Reverend Clayton, any kind of closing thoughts? And Reverend Perry, then we'll give uh, give. The one
0: Sickles, as, sickle as, cell is is personal for us. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a thirty seven year old, a young pastor and preacher, who passed away uh, about a year and a half ago mm-hmm. from this disease, mm-hmm. and we we want to do all we can to make sure that others are aware of sickle cell and. Thing they can do to help other than the future. We can't go back and help Reverend Dullivan. Mm-hmm. So we might be able to help your, you or your children or your grandchildren or mm-hmm. generations to come if we keep uh, sounding the trumpet and help others, not only to give medication, but to new medications, but to support uh, blood drives and things of that nature.
1: And and also, you know, insurance companies may not want to insure people who have certain disease, or and so you know, even trying to get death benefits or health benefits, it's sometimes challenging.
0: Very challenging.
1: There, and there ought to be there ought to be some help for that as we legislate and look for things to help for. We got to look at the whole broad picture.
2: Mm-hmm. 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 Reverend, per, I'm so, so glad you raised that because in terms of my uh. The gentleman that I work with in terms of insurances, and he just shared with me the last well, six months ago how the insurance industry is declining, gets regular life insurance based on people's medical history. They're scrutinizing so totally things that in the past they would not pay attention to, but now they're using those as red flags to kind of enable the insurance industry to make more money. So I'm, I'm, I'm so glad you, glad you raised that. Uh, Dr. Calhoun, closing words or thoughts, and I'm curious about your hopes and vision for the, for the future, because in spite of the, the challenges, you really are so uh, clearly enthused about the the importance of science and, and what we could do together.
3: Yeah. So I think that that's exactly it. The, I have hope for what we can do together. You know, I think sometimes positions are heralded as kind of like the leaders and the people who do the healing, but it's really a journey that we all have to go on together. And so, uh, for not just for all of us on this call, but for everyone who may be listening, you do actually have power to treat people who have sickle cell disease, whether it is being a support, being a listening ear, um, donating blood, which is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever you wherever you are, you know, we can be on this equity journey together. And so I just want to encourage everyone to just join us, partner with us on supporting these warriors. Um
2: yeah. So excellent, good. excellent. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Harry. Uh, look forward to, if people can make it to Bridgeport or to the to Sickle Cell Walk or to the concert. We'll post that information. And just uh, it's been a pleasure, to kind of be to be in to be in the company of the Reverends and and, and Reverend Reverend Calhoun <laughs> as well. Re, Reverend Doctor Calhoun. <laughs> well, I
3: thank you all so much.
2: Thank you. Take Take care, everyone. Bye.
0: Patty Groves and you're listening to WNHHLP, 123.5 FM, New Haven.